Hello, welcome to Film Trace. This is a podcast where we trace the life of a film from conception to production all the way to release and reception. Season three, episode six, we have my choice, the 20-year anniversary of Christopher Nolan's Memento. Uh, and we have a special guest. How long have you been, you've been on the show? Like what, twice? Three times? I think this Molly, is how many times have you been on the show? I think this is my third time. Okay, yes. we, you were on De- uh, Devil All the Time and Trial of Chicago 7, right? Your two mm-hmm. most forgettable programs. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, thought Trial of Chicago 7 was a great episode. It was really Golden good. Globe nominated Trial of Chicago 7. It could win Best Picture. So <laughs> you were, you know. Um, and then also Chris. Say hello, Chris. You're always oh, here. Hey, yes, I'm here, of course. Uh, thanks, Molly, for joining us. We're excited to talk about this for a number of reasons, but probably first and foremost, um, because we are diving back to uh, Christopher Nolan's breakthrough film, 2001's Memento. It's the 20th anniversary, and uh, the three of us have in- been kind of rediscovering. Is that a nice word? Uh, Christopher yeah. Nolan's oeuvre? Yeah, I think so. Or going back or trying to like maybe dive deeper into his work. I don't know. We invited Molly because I feel like you, of the three of us, mm. know the most about Christopher Nolan, and... I don't. I want to call you like a Christopher Nolan like a uh, scholar, uh, <laughs> okay. but uh, you really like him a lot, don't you? We like to I, offend our guests. At I the feel like, yeah, it's like I feel like this is just like <laughs> totally setting me up right here. <laughs> just like naughty, exactly the evil cackle in the background. Um, no, I mean we've talked about this before. I feel like both, and maybe I feel like this came up actually in callback yeah. uh the trial of chicago 7 episode with sorkin where it's like christopher nolan for me is definitely one of those like hmm, it's like a, it's not a morbid fast i mean i guess it's a morbid fascination it's just sort of like there's clearly like stuff that i'm like oh there's talent here there's things i like about what he does but like i also there's a lot of stuff that frustrates me and so it's just like you try to gather information to discover like do i hate or do i like this person and then you just end up more confused yeah. so that's where what I'm would at. you call it that's not that's not an aficionado what would you call that that's like uh something what's masochist? a term I don't know. yeah, yeah. Masochist would be a good, no, no like a good term no uh, we, yes. we recently watched the prestige together all mm-hmm. three of us mm-hmm. uh it was the first time i saw it uh i saw what did i see with you mal i saw in interstellar uh, with you in the theater, um, <laughs> which was a real trip. Uh, and and we, so I just felt like, yeah, you know, it's been 20 years since Memento. I remember seeing this in high school. Uh, I don't know about you guys, but it really, uh, it definitely made a massive impact on me uh, when I saw it. And I, I believe I saw it in the theater right when it came out uh, or sometime when it came out. I believe um, I've actually, if I'm not mistaken, Dan, I was working at that movie theater um, when you came to see it. Was that, so that one is West Point. West Point, yeah, yes. in Brookfield. Mm-hmm. R.I.P. Um, uh, yeah, I which is because I was looking at the release schedule of this. It did not get super wide release at all. It only went to 500 theaters total. No. Yeah, even though we so, lived in the mid, in a pretty average suburb, uh, we did have one of our cinemas had like a art house, like auditorium that was like made sure there was always yeah, an art house okay, film. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I, I believe I, I, I gave you some... Uh, some free popcorn on the low. Uh, oh wow! Look at that breaking the rules. I yeah, I, I broke the rules for you, Dan. Um, a I love. Oh. Yeah, go go for it. Sure, Guess yeah. Molly. Uh, qu- excuse me. Question. Um, sure. <laughs> how did it make the five hundred theaters thing caught my attention? Because 
that's really impressive if it was only 500 and it made 40 it's box office shoots or 40 million or is that international worldwide yeah okay well that still yeah. feels like a lot right um, I mean, like, relative me, like, to the number this... of screens. I don't know. Maybe I'm... Maybe I'm... Yeah. I mean, that was the thing. I remember that out of all, the, like, the art house movies that would fill that one art- auditorium at our Cineplex, that this was one where, you know, there was constantly people going to see it. it was had... it really like that? Yeah. Oh, I don't yeah. I remember that at all. Um, in particular, my favorite story, pro- one of my favorite stories from working at the movie theater during high school was... Uh, um, two old ladies that would always go see the art house movie any given yeah. you know thursday afternoon or whatever and uh they went and saw memento and they tried to convince my boss to give them their money back um, they <laughs> and did those not two old it. ladies were me and my mom no, <laughs> uh so what's the basics so this came out technically it came out in 2000 Sundance premiere, so that doesn't count. Uh, wide release was March sixteenth, two thousand one. Uh, budgets listed at four point five, but I've also seen nine million thrown around. And then we already sort of talked about the box office doing forty million, which you know is is decent for an art house film, I would say internationally. Uh, but didn't exactly was not I wouldn't say a grand slam. And it actually they couldn't really find a distributor for this film at first. None of the major major studios really wanted to touch it. Uh, and why do we think that is? What is this? What is this movie all about? Who wants to tackle this? Molly and Chris, who you got, what's the plot? Well, I mean, on that grenade. We, we we just need to read the log line first, right? No, um, uh, screw the log line. What's no? this thing? Just off the oh. top of your head. Out of all the movies, to not read the log line, the one that makes the least. <laughs> I hate sense. log lines because they don't even make any sense half the time. <laughs> yeah, this is true. But I do think that uh, I mean to boil it down, it's uh movie told partially in reverse chronological order about a guy that thinks that he is tracking down the murderer and rapist of his late wife uh is is that that's probably the i i don't know well and he has this memory i feel like yeah yeah yes and then the other thing is he has this memory condition where he can't sense the he remembers everything before the murder rape of his wife but he can't form new short-term or i'm assuming long-term memories very confusing i don't know what constitutes i never quite understand that with like you know and i haven't read enough like medical articles on different types of actual amnesia but like how amnesia is like used in films or like tv like in media about like what constitutes the difference between forming a short and a long-term memory right because like i don't know maybe that's only interesting to me but i'm like don't eventually can't eventually i guess if you can't form short-term memories does that mean you can never form a long-term memory you know what i'm saying yeah i think well the sort of setup here is that he remembers everything before the assault so in the assault his head is basically attacked or he's smashed against a wall uh, and that's how he has his condition it's just after that point he can't make any new memories so he remembers his life as a childhood he remembers his past with his wife we think um but everything past that is essentially kind of like a kaleidoscope he can't really tell up up versus down um and i think you know is that a kind of cool um way into a movie way into a plot yeah it's fucking awesome uh you know it's kind of also a noir trope the amnesia and stuff like that 
Um, but when you watch the movie, there's it's part color, obviously, and then it's also black and white. The black and white is act, is linear. And so that plays forward and is spliced throughout the film. The color is um, essentially going backwards. Um, it, like you see the ending of the start of the next scene. It's kind of ridiculous. Uh, only Christopher Nolan would sort of concoct this in his head. Um, but it stars Guy Pierce, uh, who we would have seen before this and probably what LA confidential would be his biggest, uh, film before memento, mm-hmm. uh, ravenous as well. 1999 rules of engagement. I forget who he was in that. Uh, he was a big TV actor, um, from Australia neighbors is a huge show. I think he was in like 400 episodes of neighbors in the eighties. Uh, Carrie Ann Moss, who you would have seen in the matrix before this, um, who was she in chocolate? Molly, do you know? I feel like you would know that. She was one of the... I mean, Chocolat is literally, like, about a town. You know, it's, like, hot Johnny right, Depp yeah. comes and, like, makes chocolate and, like, fixes doors or whatever. And then, like... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then... But it's, like, she's... I forget exactly who she is, but she's just, like, another one of the characters that... I forget what her plot line is, but she's, like, one of, like, the town's people that, like, is, like, a supporting character. Gotcha. Okay um and, and then also uh, from the matrix uh, which, Joe, uh Joe, what's yeah. that he's pantoliana that, that's, yeah that's right that's right yeah cool oh my god i love him so much he's fantastic yes and i didn't realize i went through his you know his career eddie and the cruisers the goonies la bamba empire eddie of the and Sun, the cruisers that, shout out I to mean, my dad y'all <laughs> he, had, he had like two like cd no tapes i think like in the car I, like Eddie and the Cruiser soundtrack was one of them. Anyways, love you, Amazing. Dad. Uh, Fugitive. I forgot he was in that. U.S. Marshals, obviously, as well, and uh, The Matrix. And Carrie and Moss essentially brought him into this film and said, "Hey, Joe's a really good guy. Bring him, bring him into Memento." And I think he's absolutely perfect as Teddy in this film. And it's basically those those three main characters: Natalie, Carrie is Carrie and Moss, and then Guy Pierce's Leonard. Oh, they call him Lenny constantly in the movie, or his wife mm-hmm. did. He hates it. Um, so, who produced this thing? Summon Entertainment. You might rem- uh, uh, remember them from Twilight. They were the Twilight series producers. Uh, before that, they didn't do all that much, uh, kind of up and down. They used to do basically foreign rights for films. That's how they got their first success through uh, distributing American American Pie on uh, internationally. Uh, Team Todd. Uh, that's the two Todd sisters, uh, Suzanne and Jennifer Todd. Uh, they're instrumental to this thing made. Uh, they had some success doing Austin Powers, International Man of Mystery in 97. Uh, also the sequel. Uh, they did this. Then they did another Austin Powers. And they kind of disappeared. They did Across the Universe in 2007, if you remember that absolute uh, shit show <laughs> of a film. Uh, and then they did Alice in Wonderland in 2010. And it was kind of just disappeared after that um how about someone tackle christopher nolan for me like what what was he all about before this this is his second I'm film ready. <laughs> molly it's you go for it this is where you shine this is you this, this is, is you well <laughs> we feel like my energy is too chaotic for your podcast so i'm sorry no, no, go for it bring um, it in like chaos it's not oh it's not uh the level of professionalism that your viewers listeners are used to um <laughs> but no, so well, so what I was gonna say was I said before this is that we always um we have this running joke that like I should that I would do this like extra thing on yeah. 
<laughs> like we had a Patreon or something for this, and it'd be like a little like uh, feminist follow up to the film trees episodes. Yes, um, absolutely. You had to pay extra for feminism, but today you don't. <laughs> um, but I was just gonna. I it was it's. I, I just want to do a quick recap because I think it's funny and it's funny to think about where Memento sits. Like, like before he wasn't doing much before this like he sort of was like i mean your classic though like film bro origins right he's like oh i was like hanging out with the right people and like making short films and then like doing (sighs) stuff in black and white and whatever i mean his only feature film before this was um following which was just like literally like an independent like not you know made for like two dollars with his friends but um but it's funny to think about like memento i mean so the thing we always talk about with christopher nolan that's like as other people have noticed too is just like his dead wife problem or just to me it's like dead woman like every single like half of his um his filmography isn't that it's one two three four five six nine ten it's like 12 films or so between 98 and this past year but like uh, and they're probably half split between like original material that either he wrote himself or he wrote with his brother. Um, and like, obviously some of those, like maybe he wrote, but it was like the source material was somebody else. Right. But <laughs> literally doesn't matter if this, if it came from his hat or the source material, he like only insists on having like male protagonists who have either like a dead wife or like there's somebody, the woman dies like in the movie. Like, it's, like, the only yeah. function that he knows how to, like, give his, like, male protagonists. So, anyways, like, following, it doesn't follow that too much. It's, like, sort of a noir structure. I mean, hashtag spoiler alerts for every single Christopher Nolan film coming up in the next 30 seconds. But, like... Do it. <laughs> like, following has, like, at the... I mean, there's one woman character, and at the end, she gets murdered. Okay. And then that's sort of like the defining point for like your your protagonist, right? And then Memento, yeah. it's like dead wife. Literally, like we never we see her in flashbacks. She never is a real person. It's just like it's texture for your male lead. Like Batman yeah. begins, his mom dies. Like prestige, you know, Hugh Jackman's wife dies, and then it becomes what do we call it? It was like Oh, it was like war? prank wars for like old timey <laughs> yeah. magicians. Then it turns into prank wars for. But again, it's like that's literally what gives. That's like the mo- literal like motivation for the characters. It's the same with like Dark Knight. Maggie Gyllenhaal gets blown up to chunks. Uh, <laughs> Inception, dead wife. Dark Knight Rises. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I mean, you could argue again. It's like he kills what's her name, Marion, um, whatever her name is, mom. Oh yeah. And then she also dies. Um, Interstellar, dead wife. <laughs> like Dunkirk, wife, yeah. don't even put any women in it. Solve no, that not problem. A woman. Yeah. <laughs> Dunkirk, land of no women. Let's just cut the dead fat. I get it. And then, <laughs> and then Tenant. There's not really dead wife, but I would argue it's still the same thing because, like, the one woman, Elizabeth Debicki's character, it's like the ostensible, as we've talked about the. The male protagonist and that literally called the protagonist has no character development, but the only slight motivation or character development you get from is through the fact that it's like Elizabeth Debicki dies in like one of the timelines, basically from like a reverse bullet. And then they have to like yeah. take her out to save her. And that's sort of like his, so she's basically still like a dead woman anyways. Yeah, so 
Right. So it's like, anyway, so this is, oh, and I mean, Insomnia, I'm just going to assume that Al Pacino, we forget about that movie. I just skipped that one because it's so <laughs> Right. Yeah. Everybody like, forgets about Insomnia. Insomnia. We're going to assume Al Pacino's detective character has a dead wife. We don't know anything about him, yeah. but we'll just assume he has a, I'm assuming he's doing this because he's got I a mean, dead I mean, that, that's also a recurring motif in Nolan movies is that we don't know a lot. About yeah, it's characters. like dead wife. We'll just assume. Yeah. So that seals safe, right? Either way, the motivation for his character is a dead woman <laughs> in the beginning, yeah. the murdered girl. So anyways, so I think Memento is definitely the sort of genesis, the real like where he like fully digs in and is like the, it's the like touchstone, right? For all of his dead wife, dead like issues. Like, and I, I would argue that it's, it works better than his other ones. Like everything's just like yeah. a reduction of like the same themes in Memento, right? Like after this, I mean, just how yeah. we watch Prestige, right? Like everything's a riff on this for him, and like how we yeah. watch Prestige, and we're like, what the fuck is this? Just like a riff on <laughs> <laughs> like like every other movie that he did. Um, yeah. So, anyways, so I mean, yeah. So I feel like that's where he's at at this point. He's like, really, this is this is maybe his like his masterpiece like if you want his rosebud if you will if you want to understand yeah. christopher nolan you got to watch memento you yeah I think that's what a he's good all point. about for the past 20 years <laughs> right yeah his his other movies do seem to i mean maybe the dark knight trilogy feels a little bit separate but yeah they all seem to sort of have these same sort of themes play over and over again but it's still it's um, just but it but it is the same he makes the batman's motivation in his trilogy i mean it's the pre-built-in motivation, but that's probably why he was drawn to it because Batman's motivated by his dead parents, right? But yeah. then he also blows up Maggie Gyllenhaal, and then so for one and a half film, <laughs> he's motivated by that, right? So like obsessive dead fantasy wife, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, she loved me. I could have been happy. No, I'll never be happy. And it's always interesting too. Chris Nolan's been like married for forever. In a, in a seemingly oh, like very yeah, someone keeping quote unquote mind. healthy relationship. They're still together. I, I don't think. know. I mean, it kind of reminds me of PTA and uh, right. Phantom <laughs> Thread for another episode. But uh, what's going on there? <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, so I don't know. I feel like it's you know, I I don't want to actually give him that much credit that it's like a weird like deep seated fascination with like killing it. You know, like yeah. I don't know, like some other dead wife issues, but like. That it's really, it's a classic sort of like uh, noiry kind. Like we were talking about these mm -hmm. other things, like yeah. amnesia and like having a dead and these and solving a murder. Like I think it goes with that that kind of style he's interested in. I feel like it's like he just never developed beyond that. It's like his like the the limit, and this is part of my frustration, right? The limitations of his skills and his talent, right? Yeah, he I think it's always I've, know how to make stories that are outside this very small. He like tries, and the spectacle, right, makes you yeah, think you're like, yeah, it's tenant. This is different, and then you're like, wait a minute, <laughs> wait a minute. <laughs> I mean, this this feels really like I I haven't seen Inception in a long time. I think that's probably my favorite Nolan film, but it feels really, yeah, directly tied into <laughs> Memento. Um, I mean, but that's the thing about like. Uh, Christopher Nolan in general, he's like this massive, massive filmmaker, uh, especially among what, what would you call them? Film bros, essentially. Um, not yeah. that we are, aren't those people. Of course not. Um, he, he has this huge appeal among that group of people. And I always wonder, 
he has the ability to make these bombastic um large blockbuster films that are successful very successful and this is a way smaller film and he feels like it feels very much more powerful in a lot of ways than inception or tenet uh, which actually was inspired by this film uh we'll get to that at the end um but yeah i mean he's he's a he's an odd filmmaker in that as he's gotten bigger it's almost like his power's been diluted each stage of success and as he gets bigger and bigger he his storytelling gets smaller and smaller um chris where does this movie even come from where did this thing get sparked from what what is this all about yeah this is i mean i feel like since we're talking about nolan and we keep coming back to these same kind of uh, storytelling tropes and i mean puzzle box is probably another common yeah. term that's used to describe um the the kind of focus of his style is that he care, seems to care a lot more about st- style and structure and the formalism of movie making and that probably stems from the fact that you know he was growing up in england uh dad is a ad exec mom is a flight attendant and he um is studying english literature at uh university college london and becoming the president of the film society there and he specifically seems to get enraptured by um uh the projection of film and so he's projecting 35 millimeter uh as president of the film society and he's saving up money through uh the admissions of those screenings to basically put together enough to make a feature and he comes up with following uh 1988 movie that came out that pretty much was the reason he eventually while you said it was still difficult but eventually did find some enough funding and distribution for memento and then the rest is history but it does seem like there's a lot of gaps missing um nolan has kind of famously been cagey about why he does the kind of stories he does um other than he's just incredibly obsessed with all the technicality of movie making and so that's why perhaps the technicalities of his storytelling ends up being more of a focus than actual characters and uh emotions um yeah and it, so i mean where the seed came from uh it's it's kind of unknown this is kind of a unusual uh installment in film trace because almost always we've been focusing on movies where the directors or writers or both have no qualms about telling us exactly where they got the idea. But here it seems to be more of a secretive, maybe kind of concoction of uh, all of these elements from his life and obsession with celluloid combined with, like you said, maybe specifically just interested in everything from noir to uh, mystery and dead dead women. Yeah. (laughs) So ultimately you, you get a very kind of, singular yes story but uh, i think that's one of the reasons why at least for me even though i also was obsessed spoiler alert i was that kid in the dorm room freshman year with the memento poster yeah love it but i i just i felt so i felt so uh sterile and just cold watching it uh 20 some years later oh and wow i want i wanted to feel those feelings that I did when I watched it for the first time as a you know seventeen year old or whatever, but I just didn't. I'm curious how you guys felt or if you knew of any more insight as to like why 
why this story? Why another, um, we kind of talked about this on our Promising Young Women episode, but why another uh, rape revenge story? Does it add anything? Is he trying to do anything except to just play with form? Do you think? Yeah. I mean, I think that like the the spark of this story comes from his brother. Right? Yeah, so it's based on his, yeah. Yeah, it's a a story his brother came up with. They're on a trip, and he told him this story about this guy. It is a real life condition where people have this. Not does it play play out like it does in the film? Probably not. Um, but it is that's sort of the stem of the film. Um, now, where he's coming from, from emotional place and stuff like that, it sounds like to me he wanted to do a noir film. Yeah, uh, but he wanted to play with the conventions and put them in a blender and mix it all up. Uh, it does, um, I think he mentioned somewhere when he was talking with his brother about this film or this idea that um, if we did this or we did it as a film, you'd have to, or what he wanted to do was um, lock the viewer into the subjective experience of the protagonist. And that's why we get that um, playful narrative here where it's going back in time. We're experiencing exactly what Leonard would experience in living this stuff out where he's not sure where he is at any given moment. He's trying to trace his, trace his own steps backwards. Uh, and I think that, I think you're right though. I think ultimately the content here feels very cliche. Um, and I think the story in and of itself is not necessarily super strong. And like on the DVD, I think you can actually watch it in chronological order. That's uh, one of like Easter eggs. So if, right. uh, some people have done that and talked about it and how it's like, that's kind of like a normal noir story. Um, but I think he's obsessed here with the form, right? And I think the whole point and the whole um, start or spark of this story was how can we tell this in, you, in a really unique and fascinating way that you can only really do, do in cinema. Uh, and I think that's really what gets this thing started. And I think that's, to me, like looking back on it now, I actually like it more now than when I did before. Um, I think when I saw it, we must have been, what, like 20 years old? No, not even, like 19, 18? I think when I first saw this, uh, it was just kind of like it blew my mind, like the noir aspects of it, because I didn't know anything about that growing up. Um, and how he played with it was sort of like, oh, that's cool. I thought it was a gimmick. I was like, oh, that's really cool that he, you know, we go back in time and stuff. But now when I see it, I see like this really intense and rich, like layering of narrative that, like, I don't know, it just, it's beautiful. Um, Molly, how have, you responded to seeing it now versus when you saw it back then. Well, I have two questions for you guys. I'm curious. One, yeah. if you, especially for Chris, do you think if you had like watched this in the movie theater, we talked about this before and I feel like mm, Christopher right. Nolan is like, like if you, instead of watching mm. it half asleep on your phone or whatever you're watching it on, um, <laughs> rewatching it. Like, do you think if you sat in a theater and like had that experience and like watched this movie again, like it might have hit differently. Yeah, that's very possible. I know that's that was, it was I mean, it was basically a meme this summer, right, with the release of Tenet, um, uh, <laughs> and the nosedive it took at the box office, and how basically everyone saw it. Well, most vast majority of people saw it on VOD, us included, uh, and the the magic just wasn't there. Um, I also yeah. felt that very much because I did not see Dunkirk in the movie theater. I saw it at home. And uh, uh, and yet, just before that, like I, I was just as recently as Interstellar. I was intoxicated by a Nolan movie on the big screen and then yeah. tried to rewatch it when it came to Netflix. And it, yeah, it, it, it falls much flatter 
Um, yeah. I mean, I so, do think he, yeah, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, so I do think that there, that that's an element that uh, is, is definitely fair. And that makes sense since, you know, his love of movie making stemmed from actually screening celluloid. Um, but I, I, I just wish that I don't, I almost, I, I, I worry that it's not that simple, especially as, uh, I don't think it's, I don't know. What do you think? Yeah. I don't think it's that simple. I just was, it was just a question. I was curious. And I was also curious, like if it, these, and it's also me asking myself these questions, right? It's like really a meta right now. No. Um, (laughs) like also, um, if what's the other question I have for you guys? If you didn't know, like the, because I do think something hits like a movie like this, not that this ending mm-hmm. is to- a twist per se, but I do think it's a bit of like, you get the emotional gut punch from the ending yeah. of this film of like sort of finally like putting the pieces together, you know, like the first time you see it of, um, you know, like what actually happened. And I think the, emo- like to me, like I, the emotional gut, I, like, I think because I already knew what happened or, you know, I don't know, whatever, like the, it didn't hit me too hard, but I still feel like it's a pretty good hit of like Joe, Joey P uh, telling <laughs> him like the reveal at the end and sort of yeah. the ambiguity of like, fine, whatever, man, if that's what you don't say happened, like you, you still get to sort of like 15% doubt, like maybe he's lying because, and then you yeah. realize you're sort of like, ah, he's setting like, I, like that. It's sort of the, we're like inhabiting Lenny Leonard's point of view a little bit too. And like what we, I do like the idea that's played with at the end. Right. That like, doesn't necessarily, that goes beyond like Leonard's condition of like, the stories that we tell ourselves and like the things yeah. that we do to, you know, kind of carry on or believe or like are too painful for us to sort of accept. Um, anyways, so I, I, I thought that that kind of, you know, that still hit for me a little bit. Like I thought that was sort of a very like interesting or, you know, I don't know, not without merit ending. So I don't know. I, it was just me throwing out there too. Like, does it diminish the impact for you, Chris? Cause you know how it ends. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's definitely a big part of it. I feel, uh, with Nolan movies in general. And I think that relates to interstellar as well. Uh, maybe all of his movies, to be honest. Um, cause I also remember feeling that very much when I saw the prestige, uh, in theater, uh, as a much younger, <laughs> dude and mm-hmm. uh being <laughs> yeah being being kind of taken away just by like the the cleverness of it all but then you watch it several years later uh especially maybe with some a more cynical view arguably yes but yeah. you yeah you see it for what it is uh you know through but like but, but, but what a thrill for the first time it's just maybe are maybe that's the thing is, is are nolan we making nolan's case for him are we saying like this man <laughs> oh my god uh what are we doing but are we all saying <laughs> that actually like nolan which i guess maybe i am saying this like he really does have talent for making movies that are meant to be seen like as an experience in the theater and hit that first time like you know what i mean how people used to see movies when you couldn't actually rewatch them most of the time at home you know from like a different era i don't mean like he makes like classic movies or something like that but i do weirdly feel like he's he i guess maybe he is doing what i do think is his intention in that way right like he's yeah i don't know 
that makes sense. He said he he said in some interview, I can't remember which one it was. It was right when it came out, but he was like, "I really want people to see this on the big theater." That's what he said about Memento. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He was like, "I've shot it that way." Uh, I think they have it in Cinemascope. I don't really know what that means. I think that's like wider than normal. Obviously, I don't know what to do about film. Um, uh, but he was like very adamant that people would see this in theaters. But I also feel like it had a, an amazing second life on on DVD. Am I misremembering that? That this yeah. was a huge DVD film? Oh, totally. And I think that, I mean, just especially as like a young person really getting obsessed with movies, that was one of the things. And it was similar, like, I think with Pulp Fiction too, where it's like, you don't yeah. necessarily rewatch it because there's like a deeper like deeper meaning each time you watch it but you're watching it to see the the trickery the puzzle box right yeah. um which uh reminds me dan you're gonna in post do this podcast in reverse chronological right <laughs> yeah of course okay yeah. just we'll, making sure we'll, we'll, snip <laughs> <laughs> we'll snip it off we'll snip it off uh but what do you th- i mean i'm my big question for you guys since yeah. we're kind of dancing around it is sure. when we're looking at um, a lot of the uh, notes about when this movie was released or when it was originally screened and so many people were excited about it. Uh, there's a great quote from our guy Joey P saying like that he just kept getting compliments when it was getting screened at festivals and stuff but like nobody wanted to actually distribute it um, until uh, what was it Summit eventually came along and Team Todd. Um, yeah, well, New Market, I think, was the distributor. New Market, so there you Summit, go. And Summit Team Top produced it, and New Market put it out, who was pretty small. Right. Um, Bef- way before the Twilight years, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and so... Yeah. So what, why do you guys think it took so long? Like, if if Nolan is, you know, give him, give him his best possible reading, like, this single-serving cinema guy actually, like, had a, had a point that he wanted us to see his movies on the big screen and really wow and entrance us. And it clearly did wow and entrance so many people when it was like sweeping independent spirit awards and stuff. Uh, yeah. Why would nobody touch it? Why would nobody well, actually put the money into I getting mean, this thing out there? Well, yeah. I mean, well, I guess to me, I'm putting on my business executive hat. Um, <laughs> I mean, to Love me, it. right? Like, don't don't all these like dumbass suits usually make the same arguments? I mean, it's a totally different ballgame now where it's like you can get movies on every freaking stream. So I feel like it's like the conversation has totally changed. But back in like 2000, it's like, there's no named stars. I don't like maybe Guy Pierce, but Guy Pierce didn't have like name recognition like that. He wasn't like a so there's right. nobody. It's like you don't have name. And this was pre like Carrie Ann Moss, I think like like they had some recognition. And so I'm sure that probably helped, but like it wasn't you didn't have that. And you also I can totally see executives being like <laughs> right like even like the yeah. everyone likes it but then they're like but i feel like the viewers are confused like are yeah. you going to follow oh, yeah. that just seems like a classic thing that people would explain a way that they would just be like this might not make money because people will be confused test audiences were like i could also see them showing this to like some midwestern test and some people would yeah. be like i didn't understand it and then they were like see we can't market this i don't know that would be my simple explanation for like i feel like you know that they wrote it off because they could find these easy reasons that didn't fit into their boxes for things they pay money for i would totally agree with that i think that's the right read i mean it's funny that all of these executives at these distribution companies and these guys aren't the big guys this isn't warner brothers this is like um artisan and miramax and stuff like that who are talking to them saying hey this is a great movie we're not going to put it out uh because it's you know essentially it's like yeah it's will play in peoria and the answer is no 
Like there's no way you could ever sell this. <laughs> there's no way you could ever sell this film to an average audience. I mean, at best, and I think that's what they did. You can play to a cosmopolitan audience, a metropolitan suburban audience. It's art house uh, through and through. There's no way to market this. Mm-hmm. I, I think back then specifically, there's no way to market this. But like art as- house movies still get got distributed and still get distributed. But what sure. piece was it missing to not even get really a lot of that attention um, before um, New Market finally came along? That's a good question. Maybe the noir aspect to it. Yeah. Was noir that hot in art house? Theme? I, I, I don't know. Like, uh, is, it the, too, do, is it too confusing? Do that's what I'm saying. Do studio executives like? I feel like we're maybe like overplaying how the the money people, which is who ultimately would be like distributing or paying for this movie, like think yeah. about things. Like, I just feel like everything that I like read when you like read these things, like Sony, Lee, like everything you read, it's like they are really that reductive. I think there's a little bit more opening up of it now in the industry, but they really are where they're like. They're like, there's nobody. Who's who's the name that's attached to this movie? Who am I selling off mm-hmm. of? Who's going to buy tickets, right? And then they're or they're like, who's the director? Well, he's never done anything. Yeah. Like we can't sell it off. And like, and Christopher Nolan had done nothing before this, and so sure, it was yeah. like a nobody. So it was like relatively no bankable stars, a nobody director, plus a confusing non traditional structure. Like that just seems like three things that like studio suits would be like. Ugh. <laughs> yeah exactly they did have um brad pitt was originally attached to, as the lead oh, really? uh, for a while but he couldn't do it i think because of scheduling conflict or something like that and obviously that would have been a completely different end result um you know but despite the fact that it didn't get a massive release it did do pretty well for you know its budget and the number of theaters that it was on worldwide um but i think even more importantly it's like critics adored this film when it came out uh, was it 93% Rotten Tomatoes, 83 out of 100 actual score. That's super high. Metacritic of 80, um, top critics 88%. Um, so they loved it. Um, and then also sort of, I think, the cultural importance of the film really grew with DVD and stuff like that over the last you know 20 years to the point where now, you know, on Letterboxd, it's an 82. That's essentially, I call it God tier. Like that's very, very high. Uh, it's the 54th movie out of all films on IMDb. That's the IMDb audience, obviously. It's very different. Uh, but still, top 50, essentially. Um, it didn't what, even get a cinema score back the then. the IMDb audience? <laughs> oh. Yeah, IMDb audience is like um, the number one film on IMDb of all time is Shawshank Redemption. If that gives Got you nope, say no an more. idea. Yeah, yeah. So it's like, you know. I don't even know how you would describe it. It's like kind of film bro but then like people who like movies but would never see a lot of art films is kind of how I see that. Like people who are really just into like fun movies like Back to the Future and stuff like that. Uh, but they wouldn't, you know, go see something. But like um, all men. I got it. <laughs> yeah. 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 Mostly men without a doubt. Normcore um, couch potatoes. Got it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I think, you know, it's it, it had a great critical reaction back then. I think we saw it when it was out and you guys may have experienced this differently, but it seemed like there was a, a lot of buzz about it. Um, what has kept this thing going? Is it is it Nolan's career that that's really taken off, and this is sort of like one of his first sort of masterworks? Is that why, or is there something specifically about the film itself that is that keeps coming around to younger generations or new people who are discovering it uh, that they just fall in love with it? Like, why do you think it has had such such a great shelf life? <sighs> 
I I'm I'm struggling to be honest. Oh, wow. <laughs> I I mean it's it, it's one of those things. Okay, so I do like the quote from Kenneth Turan, a guy who I usually do not agree with a lot from the LA Times. Um I mean he he starts off with his quote saying more than a film of ideas. Okay, debatable. However, Memento is provocatively <laughs> structured and thrillingly executed film noir, an intricate inventive use of cinema's possibilities that pushes what can be done on screen in an unusual direction. And so like Pulp Fiction, for instance, like I think that there was a moment in time and it was very Brown. much in that decade from 95 to 05. I, you, you can tear that down as much as you'd like in a, in a moment, Molly. Um, the, the, just like that, that nature of being like in, entranced by what's going on on screen and like trying to figure it out yeah. and like thinking that you have a grasp on it and then it does a double turnaround and you know it you don't you aren't you aren't able to predict it there was such a focus on being able to figure out um twist endings uh third act turns and by completely shifting how we think about the chronology of storytelling in cinema that felt like it was enough and just unfortunately 20 years later that it it feels at the time it felt like a rush and right now it seems like a a minor minor achievement let me go ahead and push back on you a bit. Go ahead. Let me slightly push back on you. So I, I get what you're saying, 100%. Like, it definitely has that puzzle box feel to it. The only thing I would say is, like, do you not feel like Nolan's trying to say something bigger than just solve this? Like, don't you think he's trying to say stuff about memory, about identity, about how it shifts? I mean, it's really... A, he he pokes at it, and I know I did yeah. notice that this time around uh, on my rewatch, where it's like there are el- there's moments um, where I I feel like there's a little tug at that um, philosophically, but yeah. it's never it's it's all surface level. I feel like it's fun okay. to like poke my brain, but never but then it gets back into you know who Dodd is or who Jimmy is, and <laughs> who is Dodd, <laughs> and I just I just lose track of that. I mean. Uh, the main point that I did notice this time around, and I don't know if you guys felt the same, but uh, the same Ajankis story, right? Yeah. Uh, with Stephen Tobolowsky, which he, in which he's improvising all of that. Yeah, the, whole, the entire uh, thing is improvised. Love that yeah. man. Um, yeah. I just, I especially as as an older person rewatching Memento, I was just like, I want that movie. I want to see that story. Oh God, it seems so dour. Well. <laughs> like that's that's what I I would be way more into those characters. Especially because in that moment where I'm like, wait a second, our hero is an insurance investigator. Uh, see, and- <laughs> this is you, you texted this and I want to dive into this a little bit more. You don't feel like Lenny, our boy Lenny, is someone you're going to root for or that you like at all. No, I really yeah. don't. Yeah. What did you what did you what was your take on that, Molly? Like, do I like him? Like, do you yeah, have, do you, like, do you it, like Lenny? In your rewatch, were you interested in finding out what happens to him? Like, did you care what hap- what, uh, whether or not he, you know, had a, had a happy ending? Uh, I never felt like that's what I was actually supposed to care about. I don't know. Here's the thing. I guess it all depends because I was, I was thinking about this when I was, mm-hmm. uh, considering making, Paella for dinner and the inch date chocolate. Um, <laughs> but <clears throat> it's, it's been a week. Um, is that I guess it's like we often shift, like, it's like, what do I want from this movie, right? And I will say, I don't 
or movies in general, I don't always want nor do I need to like or be emotionally invested in a certain way in the protagonist um, of any film I'm watching, right? Like, I, I would say there's movies I absolutely love, but like, and I love, and I'm the characters for me are like, I like watching these characters. I'm interested. I'm engaged with these characters, like a comedy, for example, like one of my favorite movies is clue. Do I like care about any of those characters? Like I want to see them win. Absolutely not. But it's like that movie is fun to watch and all those characters are fun to watch and like spend time with. I mean here, but that's just like a random example. I mean like here, I feel like Guy Pierce does a good job of, like, I, I mean, he's engaging, I guess is what I'll right. say. Like, I'm not mm-hmm. bored watching him. Like, I, and I, or I'm not like, I don't, I, I do want to, he ta- he makes me want to follow the story, I guess. I'll say that. Um, so he keeps me engaged in like what's happening. Um, but I actually don't even like feel, and I feel like that's part of it, right? And to me, that's like with most Nolan characters, because it's like, Again, ostensibly, the motivation for him is his dead wife, right? Who we find out at the end probably isn't dead. Um, you know, or I guess if we just believe straight up, she is in fact not dead. So I, I also, if we take that reading in retrospect, like, I actually think Guy Pierce plays that character pretty well because he's actually just like this really sad sort of like not pathetic but like really like sort of sad mm, what's the word i'm looking for like tragic character like in a way like a sort of a sad yeah yeah, desperate maybe but a tragic character right because he's so unable to accept what happened to him and he had this traumatic event happen to him his wife survived but couldn't you know what i mean that if sammy jenkins's story is his story like then you're kind of watching Chris, you kind of got the movie that you asked for in a way. You know, it's just farther out. It's not, we didn't get the immediate aftermath. Right, we, we got yeah. the person he became, yeah. you know, a year later. We didn't get the person he was six months after, you know? So, and I mean, I guess in, in that the- sense, like, that's why I feel like it's set up. I don't mind so much because, I will agree with you, Chris, but I don't mind so much because I feel like it is still... Christopher Nolan in this particular film execute. I feel like he competently executes what he intended to do with the story because I feel like you feel all those things at the end, which is when you're supposed to feel them. And you retroactively sort of feel the trickle of them, like after you sort of understand what's happening in the end, if that makes sense. For me, at least. I mean, I don't need anybody to agree with me. I'm just saying it, it worked for me in that way. Yeah. And I think that was one of, you know, my, my frustrations is that, it that I mean, and that's part of the deal with these kinds of movies, or pretty much any movie where there is a twist ending, where it's all compacted into, especially like exposition-heavy closings. And uh, you're right; I do think that Guy Pierce sells it, and I think Joey P uh, holds it down as well. The whole cast does, honestly. Um, yeah, Karen Moss is fantastic. But there's a there's really just like this. It there, there is this emptiness that is just kind of like really especially now that i you know have known the ending for so long and especially probably because i overdosed watching it over and over again uh (laughs) when i was you know 19 or whatever uh on dvd but there was a particular sense of just like okay let's get on with this and like i just i don't know i really i i also don't want i don't need to care like care for my protagonists but the way that it's set up with um 
you know, the, 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 the relationships that feel so fractured because of the reverse chronological and interrupting, you know, intercut black and white scenes. It just like, I kept like almost getting there and then falling back. And I was, I was pretty much just disappointed that I didn't connect with those same kind of feelings I had. One of the only uh, times where that, that emotional connection felt real, to be honest, was like right there in those opening scenes with like the slow reverse fade of the Polaroid yeah. uh, is just beautifully done. Um, but uh, otherwise, yeah, I, I just, I, I agree. I think Nolan succeeded at what he wanted to do, but that's just not where where i am that's not kind of the movie that i want anymore if i want a movie to be fun and puzzle boxy i do i do want i want something like clue more than i want a story about rape murder revenge psych yeah she survived i don't know yeah Um, but i feel like you i feel like you're also making the argument the same too where it's just like that's but i think that happens a lot right there's there's things that we like literature movies what art that were like that spoke to me or that was like I had a particular connection to at a certain point in our life you know I think there's it's more the rare and sort of random unexpected thing where you're like this still hits the same or something for me for like decades Mm -hmm. of my life right like it sounds like your your memory of it too was like the movie like hit for you in a certain way when you saw it and then you're just like, oh, okay, that doesn't. That's just not my experience watching it anymore. But it it did it did what it needed to do. Apparently, in 2000, that's okay. <laughs> I feel like that's okay, right? Like, there's tons of yeah, stuff no, where totally. it's like you don't you don't ever quite recapture, no. and that's okay. The feeling you had when you first read a certain book or watched a certain movie, you know, because you're a different person now, basically, than you were when you were first saw it. Yeah, I mean, when I first saw this, it was like the mind blowing part was just I don't even know. Like it was just uh, it's hard to put into words. But now when I see it, I feel completely different about it. But I like it even more because I mean, like like you said, like this is a tragedy at the end of the day. He chooses not to sort of finish out his quest in order to keep going on it endlessly. Like that's a really effed up thing to do uh and he freely chooses that too I and mean, i think that's the point that it's making at the end there where he goes after teddy and says i'm gonna go after teddy now he's my guy he wants to stay on this sort of endless loop where he'll never have any real res- resolution i mean that's super fucked up it's like not i don't even know it's not nihilistic but it's something like that uh and now i see that tragedy in it i did not see that at all i thought this was super cool uh when i was younger and saw it but yeah it now, eternal like, <laughs> revenge killings <laughs> uh precisely um and now it's just like whoa like this is incredibly um insane and fucked up uh but done so well i mean in traditional like noir film it's like it, it the the tragedy is set in motion in the first scene and you know what's going to happen it just plays out on screen it's like this fate that's controlling everything um and i think i don't know i I thought it was beautifully done or and um i don't know i think it's my favorite nolan movie now Hmm. uh what do you guys think where do you guys put this in your nolan echelon well just to recap for the viewers i feel like just explain what's happening here white bird is now very into um noir so that's what you're seeing his commentary has gone real deep there Um, (laughs) he's also just he's decided he can handle the deep trip 
Um, so that's what he's <laughs> reading from this now. He was not there when he was 18. Uh, what yeah, you're yeah. seeing from Chris is a mourning of a loss of connection to perhaps the innocence of his younger self, the sort mm-hmm. of, mm-hmm. you know, more of that. This mourning, you're experiencing the grief that Chris is feeling right now. I'm sorry, Chris. You're mourning a lot. I feel like we need your, your connection your... to... To, your uh, podcast commentary in every episode yeah just to do a little recap that's a subscribe to our patreon, <laughs> patreon. Yeah. by the way folks sign up for our patreon yeah. <laughs> extra for feminism and psychoanalysis um <laughs> i would say i'm gonna like this is i mean i've only been three times and ever but like it's gonna be shocking to chris and anyone else like i'm uh, like i'm I, I guess i'm like agreeing with wiper or like our our our, our <laughs> like not even agreeing <laughs> It's like for for like the first time in history, our like opinions are slightly like aligned here. <laughs> yeah, it's great. Terrifying. I love harmony. I never want to talk love again. But, harmony. <laughs> but uh, I mean, I don't know if I'm because I think I d- I didn't have the relationship either of you had to this movie. Yeah, I, right. Back yeah. in the day. Um, but I will say, watching it, I was surprised, and I think it. Uh, it highlighted for me, like, I was like, damn, he should have done more. Cause he really jumped. He really jumped from like this to freaking like Batman. I mean, we just forget about insomnia yeah. cause it really doesn't exist. So like he really jumped from <laughs> this to like Batman begins and then just like only did giant ass over the top blockbuster since then. He's never done besides you could argue prestige, but I just feel like that's so yeah. bloated in a different way. It, I still right. count that as like an over-the-top blockbuster. Just maybe feels smaller because it's a period piece. But um, like he, like I was kind of like, oh, it, it's too bad he didn't do another smaller thing like this. I, like that's I, I was surprised by. So I, I do think I, I actually. I don't have like a definitive ranking, but I think it definitely is higher on my list of things that like, I was like, Oh, this there's things to appreciate this that I forgot. So Chris, yeah, no, that makes a yeah, where, um, do you, where do you put it, Chris? I mean, uh, yeah, it makes sense that you're, you two are lining up because I also know how you feel about interstellar, which is my personal uh, weak spot <laughs> oh, in the Nolan filmography. Um, but uh, I mean, I basically just love that movie because it's uh, a, a, a new twist on what contact did 20 years earlier uh, <laughs> which is also a great movie can we do that one uh, yeah let's we'll, we'll, we'll that uncover movie. that on its that anniversary gonna be, spoiler alert everybody's gonna be like a lot of awkward chris um but yeah i mean honestly especially you know trying to hear what you guys had to say um about really what does make memento special i also just think i'm like in a dark spot mentally uh (laughs) and that that always colors my my feelings about a movie because if i'm looking at the rest of his filmography like yeah this is memento still leaps and bounds above uh tenet and dunkirk and even inception for me to be honest yeah. Uh, what are you talking I mean, about? Is Inception. Am I the only one on this podcast that Inception likes Inception? Inception is right? so, but don't you guys get it? Especially after watching, who hadn't seen Prestige? Wiper hadn't seen Prestige, right? Yeah. 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 It's just like everything, like Inception's just. He's just regurgitating. Himself, yeah, he right? keeps regurgitating right. stuff. And like Inception is like Burrow the. Burrows. 
most heavy-handed version i feel like of the dead <laughs> which is why i it's love his it pinnacle dead wife production you know yeah. like this is his like sort of generative genesis one and that's his like that's his like peak dead wife moments where you're just like oh my god we get it like what absolutely bon- absolutely bonkers like what else do you so know besides fun. Leonardo DiCaprio in that movie besides the fact that he's got a freaking dead wife that haunts him <laughs> and that he works for a contract dream tracer for like i don't know what the, what is what Sounds is his character pretty awesome to me uh in any event um well molly thank you for joining us yes thank been you fantastic. fantastic always here to talk about bloated blockbuster <laughs> oh speaking of bloated blockbusters coming up next on film trace uh we are taking a quick hiatus dan is uh taking uh a little month off so that he can move locations uh so i'm excited for your move dan but i will uh continue my period of mourning um with no film trace over the next 30 days but we're gonna come back big in uh march with a look at and this is my pick so apologies oh, okay. in advance the new go. Apple TV Plus original film, Cherry, by Joe and Anthony Rousseau. Fantastic. Awesome. Uh, so a month off, and then we'll be back. Uh, thanks for listening, guys. This has been Film Trace. Mm-hmm.